Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcroft, coming to you from KKXX Studios. Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we are set to continue our exploration into the book of Exodus. What I want to do this evening is just jump right in. We have a lot to talk about given what we talked about last week. I really want to pick up where we left off. And to do that, I want to go back to chapter 3. And I think what we are going to do is read verses 10 to 22. Verses 10 to 22. Again, this is Moses and the burning bush. This is God revealing his name. This is all the stuff that we are all familiar with, but maybe not so familiar with if we take a closer look. All right, so verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring forth my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the sons of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now we beg you, let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders which I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and of her who sojourns in her house jewelry of silver and of gold and and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. Thus you shall despoil the Egyptians. (laughs) Amen. All right. So uh, could we not say, my friends, that some of the richest revelations concerning the character of God are found in these verses, huh? 
where God essentially responds to to just not one question, but two questions raised by Moses. In essence, these questions can be summarized in the who am I and who are you, right? Who am I and who are you? God's response to these questions reveal much and really will be at the center of our discussion this evening. Really, it could be said that in verses 14 and 15, you have two of the most crucial verses in the whole of the Old Testament as they reveal the identity of God and, and what that means for our own identity and relationship to God, with God, and really in God, right? So to the first question, uh, who am I? Well, let us consider this. <laughs> Forty years before his encounter with the burning bush, 40 years before his encounter with the burning bush, Moses made a critical decision concerning his identity. Huh? What did we read in, in uh, Exodus chapter 2? He determined he was an Israelite and thus could not be known any longer as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Having done this, Moses determined that he would attempt to deliver his people, which resulted in the slain of the Egyptian, of course. After Moses intervened in a dispute between two Hebrews, what were those words he heard? Who made you ruler and judge over us? Have you heard that? (laughs) Who made you ruler and judge over us? Now, I don't know, for me, this is fascinating because when you really think about it, Moses, right, is the author to the book of Exodus, Exactly why he writes these words, we can never know exactly. But what we do know is that among the many things that would have been said to him, this is the one question that stayed with him and the one question that he decided to pin. Huh? And this is especially relevant in lieu of chapter 3, right? Because Moses' commission comes in chapter 3 at the age of 80. <laughs> not in chapter 2 at the age of 40. All right, so what are we to glean from this text? What is important for us to understand is that the question of Moses' identity is not exclusive to who he is as an Israelite, but who he is in relation to God. Yes, being an Israelite, my friends, is uber important because the Israelites were God's chosen people. But My identity as an American does not precede my identity as a son of God. For this reason, you've heard me say that being Democrat or Republican is never more important than being called a Christian and Catholic, right? Certainly, on one hand, living out our Christian identity does play itself out on the stage of politics, but it is discovering who we are in relationship to God that we begin the process of how we ought to love other on the stage of politics. In that conversation we have with other about politics. Incidentally, my friends, on this topic of identity, might we fast forward to the New Testament and where we find Moses? Where do we find Moses? But in the Mount of the Transfiguration, of course. Moses and Elijah. What does the word transfiguration mean? When you break down that Greek word, it essentially means without ceasing to be who you are, becoming something more. Right? Up to that point, 
Peter, James, and John, no one had seen this great light, this light of divine illumination. No one had seen that up to this point. Hmm? So we can rightfully say that the transfiguration is that moment in which Peter, James, and John looked at Jesus and saw something new for the first time. So Jesus Christ, without ceasing to be who he was in his humanity, became something more before them in his divinity. And this is such an important point for us as we explore this topic of that question, who am I? Jesus Christ asked those closest to him, who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter steps forward and claims that he is the Son of God. And then, can we not probe that question? Does not Jesus maybe say to them in the private, in light of who I am, who do I say that you are? This is the question beneath the question. And certainly something we should be thinking about this evening. All right, so it is. As we circle back to the narrative, what do we discover in God's response to Moses? But God focusing Moses' attention from the sendee, Moses, to the sender, God. What is important is not the instrument in God's hand, but the one in whose hand the instrument is being held. God does not call the qualified, but qualifies the call. What did we read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12? I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And so from this statement, my friends, we learn that Moses' authority is wrapped up in the presence of God, which is assured when he is obedient to God's command. And oh, by the way, my friends, Isn't this strikingly similar to the great commission of the New Testament? The great commission of of Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. That begins with the statement by our Lord, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And ends with, Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. You see, my friends, Divine authority is inseparably linked with divine presence, okay? Moses' question about his authority was answered by God's promise of his presence with Moses. God's presence is Moses' great authority, and we should say consolation, and so it should be ours. Uh, Incidentally, my friends, take note of one further point that can be found in a closer look at Exodus 3, uh, verse 12. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Why the emphasis on the you? Well, the first you in this statement is singular. The second is plural. God is not promising Moses a permanent and private retreat, worship retreat on Mount Sinai. No, rather an event that will lead his chosen people to worship as an assembly of believers. Yeah, on one hand, he received a great sign in his encounter with God, but there was still much to do and and many signs yet to be performed. 
I mean, think about it. The rod which became a serpent. The leprous hand. Of course, the ten plagues. The splitting of the waters. In essence, the many signs that make up the Exodus event is what we speak of here. But what do they point to? Well, to draw us into deeper worship of the one true God as a people of God. My dear friends, after the initial sign of the burning bush, Moses abandoned himself to God's providence and through his faithfulness to God, God performs the greatest sign of his presence, the more collective worship of his people. Hmm? The more collective worship of his people. No doubt, the wonders of God can be found in his great workings and all of those most fascinating miracles that we attach to the book of Exodus. But what about the other great sign, the other great movement of God? And here I'm not talking about the supernatural per se, but the power of God working within man that draws man into the the one true worship of God. This is a great sign of the power of God. Yes, I'm sure we would be deeply moved if we saw a sea split into two. But are you not deeply moved when you see a congregation of people coming together to worship God? Really, in the end, my point is this. The supernatural signs point to something else. It's really what all of those signs ought to lead to. Worship. Worship of the one true God. All right, all that being said, as Moses moves his attention from himself to God, he is then ready to ask the next question. Who are you? What does he say in verse 13? Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? And what what do I tell them? Right? I mean, how could Moses possibly ask God's name when God has already revealed his identity so clearly in his previous statement to Moses. I mean, notice that Moses, at least in appearance, is not asking this question on his own behalf, but on behalf of any who might ask. If Moses' authority is wrapped up in the God who has called and commissioned him to lead Israel out of Egypt, then, you know, yeah, he may need to be able to describe the character of this God to assure them of God's willingness and ability ability to lead them into the land of blessings. And the name by which God chooses to identify himself certainly would capture the essence of his character and being. And this, again, is verses 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So here, I want to go back to last week in a point that Bishop Barron made. I remember that point, right, when he said the true God can never be grasped, controlled, ordered by the mind or placed in neat categories. Rather, he does the controlling, right? My friends, God is saying 
to those who would want to know about himself. I am the essence and being of all things. You, you cannot lasso me and try to put me in a nice tidy box so as to have me all figured out. I am, he says, the always more. I am understood and then not understood. I am grasped and then not grasped. I am recognizable and then not recognizable. Because as St. Thomas Aquinas would remind us, the more you come to know about God, the more you come to realize how little you know about God. Which is St. Thomas Aquinas' way of saying, there is always more to know about God. Right? And don't get me wrong. Knowing about God is very, very important. You have heard me highlight the point that, you know, what does the word disciple mean? It comes from a Greek word that literally translates as a student. Student. If we are going to call ourselves disciples, we have to be students of the master, Rabboni, master teacher, Jesus Christ, and learn from his feet. And we learn from his feet by studying sacred scripture. What do we read in Paul's letter to Rome, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2? Does he not say, be transformed by the renewal of your mind? By the renewal of your mind? So what else about this, I am who I am? Well, as St. Thomas Aquinas offers up here, and I think this is really important for us because this really is substantial to any reflection on this verse, among other things, this verse expresses a philosophical truth. That God is infinite being, the one whose essence is existence, huh? without beginning or without end, as the book of Revelation reminds us, independently of all other things that exist. And could we not say this aspect of the mystery of I am who I am is actually found in the burning bush itself. I mean, these words are coming from the burning bush. Don't forget that. Where the fire of divine presence burns undiminished, without need of created realities to generate or sustain itself, you see. And this is the, the stuff of St. Thomas Aquinas. I am who I am. And what about this language? In verse 15, the Lord. Of course, this in the Hebrew translates as YHWH. Um, it is called a tetragrammaton. So the original pronunciation of which is no longer certain, probably Yahweh. It is equivalent to the divine name revealed in the preceding verse. But here, expressed in the third person, he is or he will be or, or he causes to be, rather than the first I am. And why do we move from, from this language of third person, he is, he will be, or he causes to be, from the I am? Because it stresses the profound holiness of God's name and forbids it to be used in any, in any unholy way as we find in Exodus 20, verse 7. God's name, my friends, is holy. His presence 
equates to holiness. What does he say to Moses? Take off your sandals, Moses. Now you are on holy ground. There is something else here that I want to be sure to touch upon before we wrap up our reflection this evening into the uh, who am I and who are you. And that is what is revealed in the New Testament in the seven I am statements of Jesus Christ. If you were to go to the Gospel of John, John wishes to stress that Jesus identified himself with this God of the Exodus when he says what I am. (laughs) And John chapter 6, verse 35, verse 41, verse 48, and verse 51, he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus, as the Son of God, revealing the very life of God, says, I am the bread of life. Bread sustains physical life. If you wish to receive me in the Eucharist, I will sustain you in the spiritual life. In John 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He says this to a world lost in darkness. Christ offers himself as a light for us. Yes, it is getting increasingly dark out there, but all that means for us, insofar as we stay in the light of Christ, is that light will now shine brighter, right? The darker it is, the greater that light shines. He also says, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus protects his followers as shepherds protect their flocks from predators. If we remain in the Eucharist and live in the light of Christ, he will protect us. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And as he says this, he reminds us that death is not the final word for those who live in Christ. Rather, only the beginning. I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 11, the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. Do we recognize the voice of Christ when he says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the resurrection of the life, I am the good shepherd. He also says, I am the true vine. And here we are to be reminded that we are called to attach ourselves, graft ourselves to Christ, enabling his very life and love to flow in us and through us. And then, and only then, can we bear the fruit we are called to bear. And lastly, as we look at these I am statements, we have I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the source of all truth and knowledge about God. And don't overlook the importance of this Greek. You know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here, Jesus is speaking in the imperative, the absolute. Jesus is not just another way, another truth, and another life. No, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. We study the master's words that in those words, those words that have everlasting life, we might come to discover the greatness of God's absolute love, his unlimited love. This, again, should be our consolation. And I close with 
the I am the way, the truth, and the life, because I do think it brings us back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. God's omnipotence, this existence independent of any other thing. Huh? I am by my very essence existence. I am the absolute, but not as a cohesion where he browbeats us, no, as an invitation. Because this fullness is that which satisfies. What does St. Augustine say? My heart is restless until it rests in thee. To pray with these seven I am statements in the light of Exodus chapter 3, verses 14 to 15 especially. We should find our consolation in the greatness of God, a greatness that is found in his unconditional, unlimited, absolute love. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift to be able to reflect into the richness of your word most especially for us this evening, the book of Exodus, this very rich chapter 3, which underscores the importance of not only who you are, but as your sons and daughters of God, how we relate to you, that we might better discover who you are calling us to become in the light of who you are. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.